Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone here today to this um, time of uh, public worship, both to those in the church here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 103. It's page 369 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. Bless, O my soul, the Lord thy God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath bestowed on thee. We'll sing down to the end of the verse, Mark 5, Psalm 103 at the beginning. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. <coughs> together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the song we have just been singing. It reminds us that for us to worship you, our souls must be engaged. We realize that it is easy for us to go through the outward rituals of religious activity, but your eye sees the inward heart and the psalmist can also say O Lord thou hast me searched and known thou knowest my sitting down and rising up yea all my thoughts afar to thee are known O Lord our God our confession is that on life's journey the biggest problem any of us have faced is 
that we knew that you knew everything. And we have spent our days on the run from you, but we realize there's no peace for a soul doing that. We thank you that there are those here this day, and we pray that it would be true of everybody that we have stopped running, that we have embraced the free offer of the gospel, and that we are able to say or taste and see that God is good. We thank you for the sounds of little voices in our midst this day. They are gifts given to us from you. And we pray that we would fulfill our duties not only towards you, but towards them as well. But even as we utter this prayer, we feel so ashamed as we look back on our life's record. But we are here this day to worship a God who has inbuilt into the covenant relationship a way of dealing with sin, even after our conversion. We thank you that it is recorded that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. O Lord our God, we thank you that the song we have been singing speaks of the believer being able to renew his strength and to mount up with wings as eagles. And if it was not for your grace, that could never happen. Because we have all wandered in life's journey. And we have all backslidden in one way or another. But we thank you that the massiveness of the grace of God is sufficient for each and every one of us. We pray this day that you would help us. Remember those who would be here if they could, but who cannot. We thank you that they are able to join with us in a limited kind of way. Be a blessing to them, wherever they are. We thank you this day, O Lord, for our family circles. Our earnest prayer is that we will be together, not just in this world, but in the world beyond this one as well. We pray that we will all be found trusting in you as a friend and saviour. We remember those this day who are mourning the loss of loved ones. We pray, O Lord, that you'd be a blessing to them. We think in particular of the Mackintosh family in the Duffeldoors congregation. And we think of Elise Murray's family. We pray that you'd draw nigh and comfort. And all others in so many funerals that we've been associated with in recent times. O Lord, our God, help us to listen to you as you tell us that we are all going this way. We pray, O Lord, that you'd remember us as a church and indeed as a nation. At this moment in our history, we pray for those who are in positions of leadership, who trust in you, who have the tide against them. We pray that you'd give them succor and strength and backbone to enable them eh, to stand and to remember that it's righteousness alone that exalts a nation. O Lord our God, please be merciful to us and give us those in positions of leadership who are in union with you. O Lord, be with us, we pray, for this time that we are gathered and all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now it's lovely to see so many youngsters with us and I'm going to speak to you for a moment or two. I'm going to give you a wee story that I've given before from this pulpit but it will bear telling again because it ties in with what we are uh, going to be doing here today in baptising little uh, James. And it goes back to when I uh, was... Um, preparing one Sunday morning um, for coming to the pulpit and uh, we had three children at that stage, Amy hadn't come along but we had three youngsters and my wife wasn't around and uh, as usual I was as nervous as get out and going back and forth to the study into the kitchen and one of the children said to me uh, 
I can't remember which one it was. We're going to help you today, Dad. And I said, oh, what, what, what you, we're going to do the dishes for you. And the dishes would comprise of four cups and four side plates. But anyway, I said, that's okay. And I went off back, back to the study. And I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes later, I came back through to the kitchen and I looked out the window. And for all the world, it looked as if it was snowing outside. And uh, I knew it wasn't snowing time. It was in the middle of summer, I think, if I remember correctly. So I had to start asking a few questions. And then I discovered that to wash four side plates and four cups, they had used a bottle and a half of fairy liquid. Now, the wee bottles of fairy liquid you get nowadays, they're nothing. It was these big, big bottles. And so much soap suds had gone down the, 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 the sink that it, it came out in the drain just outside the window and it was bubbling up everywhere. And every time there was a gust of wind, it threw it up into the air and for all the world, it looked as if it was snowing. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a drink from a cup that's lined with fairy liquid, but it, it doesn't taste nice. So they had good intentions. They had good intentions. But you know what? I had to go and wash all these cups again. And that's a very good illustration of what we're going to be about here today. Because you know, we're all here today as sinners. And sometimes we try to wash ourselves and we try to sort out the things in our lives. And that's a big mistake. Because we can't do it. But there is somebody else who can do it for us. And that is Jesus. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save sinners. And one of the things we can say about believing in Jesus is this. He washes us and he makes us spotlessly clean. And that is the glory of uh, the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus of Nazareth brings it to us. And my hope and prayer today is this, that every young person and indeed every other person here today, that we are all trusting in this Jesus to wash us and to make us clean. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's in Psalm number 62. And that's found on page uh, that's found on page 80 of the Psalter, Psalm 62, page 80. Find rest my soul in God alone. In him my hope is ever sure, my safety, fortress, sheltering rock. In him alone I am secure. My honour and salvation rest on God, my rock and mighty fort. O people, trust in him always. To him alone pour out your heart. We'll sing verses 5 to 12 of Psalm 62. Find rest, my soul, in God alone.
Now let's read God's word first of all in the book of Genesis and at chapter 17. We'll read at the beginning of the chapter. Genesis chapter 17 at the beginning. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout their generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And we'll read also in the Gospel according to St. Matthew and at chapter 28 at the beginning of the chapter. Now after the Sabbath towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. <clears throat> so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. <coughs> While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. 
And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And we'll also read in Acts chapter 2. And at verse 38, Acts chapter 2. And at verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And one final verse in Acts <coughs> chapter 22 and at verse 16. Acts chapter 22 and at verse 16. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Amen, and may God bless to us these readings from uh, his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray, O Lord, our God. We pray that as we turn to explore your word afresh this day, that you would help us. We have nothing to woo you with nothing we have forfeited everything indeed we have mountains of provocation that would cause you to shun us but we cry towards you this day because you are who you have revealed yourself to us a God full of grace and mercy and compassion a God who has given us the sacrament of baptism that symbolizes the washing away of sins. This is the great hope of every believer. And so as we turn to your word this day afresh to explore it, we pray that you draw nigh to us and that you would help us. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we might see wonderful things. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's in Psalm number 63 on page 80 of the Psalter. It's at the beginning of uh, the song. O God, you are my God alone. I seek your face with eagerness. My soul and body thirst for you in this dry, weary uh, wilderness. I've seen you in your holy place. Your power and glory held my gaze. Far better is your love than life, and so my lips will sing your praise. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63. O God, you are my God alone.
moments to the passage we've read in Matthew's Gospel chapter 28 and we'll read at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of uh, the age. Now let's by God's enabling seek to explore something of this area of scripture. What I would like to do is to set what we're doing today in context and uh, to look at the context also of these words of Jesus to his disciples and then to look at the big context of where we are as a human race. Well, first of all, uh, to set this in context, the sacrament of baptism will be administered today at this service. And um, that will happen because around 1,990 years ago, Jesus gave this declaration to his disciples, this command to go and to baptize and that's why we are here uh, this day now clearly we've had a lot of baptisms recently and some of the things I'm going to say are going to be uh, have already been said in recent times in uh, services but these things will bear uh, being said again 
The Jesus of Nazareth burst on the scene of the human race 2,023 years ago. At the age of 33, he's crucified outside the city walls of uh, Jerusalem. He dies on Good Friday, and the third day thereafter he rises again from the dead, and 40 days thereafter he ascends back up into heaven. And that's where he's been as a human being, as the God-man, ever since. And he will return to this planet sometime in the future. But prior to leaving this world, and indeed prior to being crucified, uh, at least at the time around his crucifixion, he gives this uh, declaration, or this command, to go and uh, to go and baptize. But you know this book that we've been reading from today, we've read from the Old Testament, we've read from the New Testament. It was written about three and a half thousand years ago. And the first five books were written by Moses. Now one of the astonishing things about it is that it covers a period of one and a half thousand years. Forty different writers involved. And it all dovetails so beautifully. Now that shouldn't be a surprise to us because we believe in the doctrine or the teaching of inspiration. In other words, God guided all these people in what to say. So we have a holistic view of everything because God stands back and he sees everything. He knows all about us. He knew everything about every one of these writers. And so the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation, the whole thing absolutely dovetails. And the central theme of this book is this. Three things. God is holy. We are sinners. And we can't argue with that. We know in our heart of hearts that God is holy. And we know in our heart of hearts we are sinners. But the third great thing that God reveals to the human race is this. He attends our plight. He meets our need. He causes us to be brought back to him. He enables us to be reconciled. That is the glorious message of this book. Now we in our folly, and we've all done this, we in our folly have tried to sort out our lives. We've all spent days and years on the run from God, I believe. But it's not a comfortable place to be. It's just like a balm to the soul when you stop running. And you surrender to God and you say to God, Okay, I'll come the way I am. I will listen to what you have to say. And what has he got to say? He's saying, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know, we live in a very restless world. We live in a restless world. People are looking for contentment and rest all over the place. God gives it to us. He gives it to us for nothing. It's a free offer of the gospel. Now it's not that it's cost, not cost anything at all, because it cost Christ a great deal. But we can be reconciled on the basis of gift, on the basis of the graciousness of God. That is the thrill of the gospel. And I hope that's why we are here this day. But let's go way back to the very beginning of the human race in the Garden of Eden where God creates Adam and Eve. And God is in a relationship. We call it a covenant, but sometimes we can get a bit confused as what what is a covenant? Well, it's just a bond. It's just a relationship. And God is saying to Adam and Eve, look, I'm going to give you this garden. And you can do whatever you want with it. It's yours. There's just one tree. And I don't want you to eat the fruit of that tree. That's it. Now, there is no way we can say that God was mean or stingy or niggardly in his approach there. No way in the world can we 
do or say that. But we all know the way it went. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that was forbidden. And God's word comes to fruition because he said to them all along, the day you eat thereof you shall surely die. And they did die. They died spiritually because up until that point in time they were at one with God. They looked at God and they enjoyed everything they saw in God and God looked at them and God enjoyed everything he saw in them as well. It was a two-way thing. But now it's, it's all over. And he banishes them from the garden. And he puts a cherubim with a flaming sword that goes in every direction just to reiterate you're not coming back the way you are. You are out. And that's when Adam and Eve find themselves. And if Adam and Eve stay that way then they're going to go through the other, another meaning of death in scripture which means the death of the body and the soul what I would call physical death but that would lead on to another meaning of death in scripture which is eternal death which is being lost forever if things remain the way as they are except for this God doesn't leave them to their plight God says to them, out there in your family tree, there will be a special child born and he's going to crush the head of the serpent who was behind all this. In other words, God was going to provide a way of redemption, a way of return, a way of reconciliation. And of course, 2,023 years ago, in a stable in Bethlehem, that child was born. God was true, and God was faithful to his word. Now, it's not that away at the very beginning, God reveals everything he wants to reveal to the human race. It's, that's not the way it works. It was a progressive revelation. He gives more and more as the centuries go by. And so God makes a covenant with Noah, and God makes a covenant with Abraham. And we've just been reading about the covenant he made with Abraham. And Abraham lived in the, uh, in the south of the country we today would call Iraq. And it was a very religious society. They were particularly into worshipping the moon. And God comes to Abraham and God says to Abraham, I want to enter into a bond. I want to enter into a relationship. I want to enter into a covenant with you. And Abraham has options. And the options are, I don't want... The, the, the God we're talking about is Jehovah, the one great living and true God, the God of the Bible. And Abraham has options. He can say, no, 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 I'm satisfied with what I've got. And I'm satisfied with the way things are. Except he didn't. He said, I, 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 I'll enter into this bond. I'll enter into this covenant. And so it was a case of Abraham saying, yes, you are my God. And it's a case of God saying, you'll be my person. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to put my mark on you. You know, any shepherd worth the salt here today will have his own mark on his sheep. Whether it's a ear bit or, I don't know, it depends where you come, a beast mark, a paint mark, a keel mark. And, and of course there, there are tags so there are so many ways that a shepherd is saying that sheep is mine well the great shepherd is exactly the same he knows his sheep and his mark is on his sheep and the Old Testament mark that went on to his sheep was the mark of circumcision now it's not that circumcision was brand new at the time God said these things to Abraham the human race engaged in it for reasons of hygiene and you see you know, in the days of Noah um, there are some people that believe that uh, the, the, the rainbow comes into existence at the time of the flood but there are others who believe that the phenomenon that was a rainbow was there from the beginning and that God harnesses it and gives it a symbolic meaning at the time of the Noahic flood and just as 
that was the case with Noah's covenant, with the Abrahamic covenant, God harnesses something that was already there. But the whole idea is this, getting rid of something that is unclean, or at least has the potential to be uh, unclean. And that's the way it is with the people of God right up until the time Jesus of Nazareth bursts on, on the scene. And when, Je- and when I say Jesus of Nazareth bursts on the scene, he really does burst on the scene. Because at the age of 30, when he's performing his very first miracle, and you know, there's a wee smile coming to my face just now, because in this schools just now, we are uh, doing the Easter story. And of course, I start with the very first miracle. and. No, it wasn't in the schools, it was in the club upstairs the other day when I asked about what happened at the the wedding in Cain of Galilee and the wee girl shot up her hand. They ran out of whiskey, she said. And, uh, well, they didn't run out of whiskey, but they did run out of wine. But you know, when Jesus performed the miracle of turning the water into wine, they're all saying, Who, how did you do that? Who are you? Where do you come from? What, what, what are you doing here? And I'm the son of God. And, and amongst the church leadership, there's this furore. You, you are not. You're a liar. That is lies. And all along he said, I am the son of God. But the other big problem was this. Do you know there were people in Israel in those days trying to keep hundreds of rules in order to get into heaven and the world beyond this one. And Jesus came along and he's saying to them, I I know you can't do it that way. I know you can't keep these rules. But because I'm the son of God, I can forgive you your sins. I hope that's why you and I are here today. That we acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. And he can deal with our sins. That's the glory. And that is the beauty of the gospel. And after Jesus bursts on the scene. These people are going to see him. Not just because they want to see a miracle. Because it's good news that he's got in his message. And that's why ultimately he's crucified. Because the church leadership of the day are saying. Where have our people gone? When they're expecting them to turn up in their droves in the temple in Jerusalem. And, and where are they all? They're off for that man, Jesus. That's where they're off to. And that causes them to be so jealous and so bitter and so angry. That eventually they said, right, get rid of him. Just get rid of him. I used to live in my student days with a Jewess in Glasgow. She rented out rooms. And we used to discuss Jesus. And I would say to her, it's the Jews that crucified Jesus. No, 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 it wasn't. It was the Romans. The Romans weren't all that much interested. Pontius Pilate was the most influential Roman around and he would have been glad to see the back of Jesus. But he was scared of the Jewish church leaders. And that is why Jesus was crucified. You see, there is this clash and it's still around this day between religion or religions I can put in the plural whereby you've got to make yourself good enough to impress whatever God you believe in in order to get into whatever heaven you believe in and the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. He's the eternal God stooping down into the murky waters of a grubby, ugly world to save sinners. That is the glory. That is the glory of the gospel. And so at the time of Jesus, there's a change. The Old Testament sacrament of uh, circumcision changes into a new one. And the new one is, it's baptism. 
And the baptism teaches exactly the same as circumcision taught. It's the washing away of that which is unclean. We've done a series of sermons recently on John the Baptist and we saw a parallel between the teachings of John the Baptist and the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth. Both their sermons and both their teachings spoke about the remission of sins, the getting rid of sins on the basis of what? On the basis of sheer gift. On the basis of sheer a gift. And let's remember this. That both in Old Testament times and in New Testament times. God's saying to us include not just the adults. Include your children. Because he said to Abraham on the eighth day you're going to put the mark on your child. Now people will say. How can a child know anything when it's a few days old or a few weeks or a few months? And nobody is saying that the child knows anything. Well, then why, why involve a child in the ritual of, of, of baptism or circumcision? For one reason and one reason only. Abraham did it because God commanded him to do it. And you see that in the mind of God it's that not an, an individual is isolated but the individual is part of the family. It's a, it's a family thing. And you know in New Testament times if, if, if children are out we're expecting God to give us a very clear statement from now on the children are not going to be in this covenant. That God never ever mentions it. And that's why today uh, little James will, will be baptised and the parents will take vows and they are solemn and they are serious vows and I'm quite sure that there are many of us here who look back on the taking of baptismal vows and we want to just bury our heads in shame because we failed in so many ways and at so many levels but I, I have to remember this we have to remember this. Nobody here today is, as a believer is saying, look, I'm spotless, I've made the grade, I'm perfect. Nobody is saying that. And not even God's word is saying that. Because when people become believers, it's the beginning of a battle that goes on in their experience where there's something in them that says, I believe in God and I want to honour God and I want to give God his place. But there's something else in our makeup that says, I don't want to give God his place. I want to do my own thing and I want to live my own life and I want to go my own way. And that's the battle that begins the moment we believe. And I'm not excusing sin, I'm not condoning it, I'm not justifying it in any way, shape or form. But I'm afraid that battle will go on until our dying day. So what do we do with our children when we're promising to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and we mess up? Well, what we have to remind ourselves and them is, is this, we're not perfect. We're flawed. We are uh, flawed. And um, and we will... Um, We are flawed folks and um, if I can just pick up my train of thought it's this. We tell our children that we're flawed but we tell them also that we believe in a God. I almost said who can accommodate our flaws and yes I am going to go with that. Do you know why? Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't want to justify or condone or excuse sin in any shape or form, but I'm going to be a realist. What else can we be? We get it wrong every living day. 
but we turn to the eternal God every living day and we say afresh please have mercy on me today please have mercy on me today that's the message we teach our children as well they're not going to be perfect they're going to be flawed as well they're going to struggle on life's journey just like all the rest of us but you know they're gifts they're astonishing gifts from God you know you come out of hospital when your first child comes along and you're thinking what do we do with this you're responsible and 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 you can just go so weak at the knee but that's only the beginning of the whole process of of, of, of family and, and, and children and once children they will always be children it doesn't matter what age they what age they they get they get to but I guess we're here today that want the very very best for our children you know we want them to get a good job we want them to get a good education we want them to have a nice house we want them to have a decent car there's nothing in all the world wrong with that there's nothing but you know the major problem with many is this that they will attend to every single need that comes their child's way except the one thing that is really needful they've got never dying souls and they're flawed just like all the rest of us and they need Christ they need the mercy and the love of Christ but so often that's missed out you know I say this often from this pulpit sometimes I wish that I could make the decisions for other people why? so that I can be absolutely sure that they're going to be in heaven and the world after this one but it doesn't work like that you cannot be saved by proxy it's an individual thing I do remember our Hebrew professor a man I admired immensely the late John L. Mackay talking about children that are being baptised and have the blessings of baptismal vows we have expectations of them you put a rose in clay and it will die you put a rose in good healthy wholesome soil and you have expectations now I do realise sometimes our expectations do not come to fruition they are not fulfilled but we still with baptismal vows have expectations some people believe in baptismal regeneration we don't James is getting the best gift a parent could give him and that is the gift of showing a child not a perfect life not a flawless life but a life as sinners resting on Christ and Christ alone for salvation that is the best gift we can bestow upon our children now whilst we sing Psalm 23 um, the children there's no crash today because of the school holidays but there are children sorry there is a crash there's no Sunday school today because of the school holidays but um, someone will go up uh, and bring the children from the crash down so we'll sing Psalm 23 page 229 of uh, the Psalter the Lord's my shepherd I'll not want he makes me down to lie in pastures green he leadeth me the quiet waters by we'll sing the whole of the song to God's praise Psalm 23 the Lord's my shepherd I'll not want
Now we have uh, our warrant for, uh, for baptism in the passage of scripture that we've just uh, been seeking to, uh, to explore. So we will proceed with uh, the baptism so that the congregation can please be uh, upstanding. Do you believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament are the word of Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is the only Savior of sinners? Yes. Do you promise to bring up James in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Yes. James Macaulay, James Macaulay Gray, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's join together in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you this day of our little child. We pray, O Lord, that we would remember that we need your help. The parents in this world, we pray, O Lord, that each and every one of us would look to you each and every day for the guidance and the strength that we need. We pray that in the ups and downs, the twists and turns, and the bumps and bruises of life's journey, that you would give us what it takes to honor every living day. Marian and Lindy, we pray that family. May we look to you, be strengthened by you. All we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, folks, we'll conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 72. It's a Scottish Psalter verse and at verse 17, this name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall, men shall be blessed in him and blessed. All nations shall him call. We'll sing verses 17 to 19. His name forever shall endure.